Hey, everybody, and welcome to Celebrating the Brand Ambassador, where we get down and dirty and reveal the secrets of some of the most outstanding career brand ambassadors, innovators, and brand owners in the cocktail industry. I'm your host, Elaine Duff, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Now let's get right into it and meet the personalities behind the brands you love. So we are live. Good afternoon, gentlemen, or good evening for you, Giuseppe. <laughs> How are you? Thank you. Uh, that, fantastic. So for those of you joining me, I have with me, as you can see on the screen, Giuseppe Gallo, the founder and owner of Italicus, right? Can I say founder and owner? That's correct. Okay. All right. And then also Jorge Raptis. I know him as the tequila and the agave man because we used to work together at, at Diageo. But now he's the educator for Southern Wine and Spirits in the Diageo portfolio in the Southwest. Well, it's all over the place, but yes. All over, <laughs> all over the place. And now he's got an entire portfolio of brands that he, that he has to work with. So, gentlemen, a question I always start with is just telling me a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. So just a quick recap of like your entire career in three minutes. <laughs> Jorge, I'll start with you. Sounds good. Well, I started, you know, a long time ago with the hospitality industry, restaurants, hotels. Then the first opportunity I had, I started with an agency working for Cruise Light, the brands. And then I wanted to really dive into the spirits. So I joined Republic National. From there, I became the brand ambassador for Don Julio. And I left that to join again another distributing company with Glazers. Went back to the ambassador position as the lead in the United States. And then I did the National Educator for Latin Spirits, mainly Agave. And now I am the educator for the Southern Glaciers, wherever Southern Glaciers is managing the Diario portfolio. That's what I cover to education in every category. So. And that was really good. That nutshell. was amazing. <laughs> in a nutshell. And Jorge yeah. and I used to be brand ambassadors together at Diageo and work for MKTG back back in the day. And so we know each other for a long time. And Giuseppe, how about yourself? I'm today the ambassador of the Made in Italy in the world. That's the, the way <laughs> I like to define myself. Very uh, nice. I'm Italian. I'm Italian. I've been in the industry for um, over 20 years right now. As you can hear from my accent, very strongly Italian. I'm an Amaro and Vermouth lover, first of all. I went through the whole steps of the hospitality career, coffee bar, summer season, waiters, working in the restaurants, then going in uh, Star Michelin restaurants, working in uh, private clubs, beach bars, hotel bars. Uh, <laughs> then I went to work as a, a global brand ambassador for Martini Rossi Vermouths with the global marketing team at uh, Bacardi in UK, London. Then I left there. I started my own uh, consulting agency company called Ita Spirits, which is still working today on it. And in 2016, I launched my own brand, which is Italicus Rosori di Bergamotto. And in 2019, I launched the first edition of the International Roma Bar Show in Italy. Together, a cocktail evangelist. I love cocktails. <laughs> I love drinks. And you love everything Italian. <laughs> uh, as you can hear, hairstyle. As you can hear, and yes. <laughs> that that was fantastic. I look forward to when your show is back on to coming to Italy to the to the show. It's one I have not had the pleasure of being to, and just an excuse to come to Italy. It's always a, it's always a good time. 
All right. So you, the, the one thing that I really admire about you, gentlemen, I mean, we've all been in the industry for over 20 years. And the fact that you both have become known as an expert within your category. So for Jorge, it's been Agave Spirits. And for Giuseppe is vermouth and now a bergamont, uh, the man who brought back the bergamont liqueur. And, you know, I know that becoming an expert is not easy. And this is something people really struggle with because they feel like they need to be an expert right away when they just start a brand ambassador role or they just start to know and they feel like they need to know everything. And, and it takes time, as, as we all know. So I just wanted to share some of the steps you took to become an expert and what steps you kind of took to build your career to make people know that you are the expert within that category and build your personal brand as well as the brands that you worked for. So Jorge, I'll start, I'll start with you. So yeah, it's not easy. I tell people there's no substitute for the experience, firsthand experience. So the first thing I think it's be passionate. Look for what, you know, really passions you. And look for that specific spirit category or that specific brand that you love and dive into it. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that I, I consider or I used to consider hard for me because I'm from Mexico, you know, being Hispanic, having an accent. I, I thought that it would be a challenge, but I actually took the opposite approach and I was, you know, I embraced it. I was proud of my heritage. So that also helped me. I become, you know, the, the expert in, in agave because I didn't see all of my background as, a, as a, something that was going to hinder me, but the opposite. So that's what I dive into agave. I surround myself with people that were passionate as myself and that know, knew more than me as well. A lot of times we are afraid of asking or being with people that know more than us, but I think that that helped me to get my education and with those friends, I took a lot of trips, you know, to Mexico and learning about other brands, about other products, because being an expert is not only knowing your brands, knowing your, your, your category, but knowing what is happening in the industry as a whole. So that first hand experience, there's no substitute. And that's where you get all these experiences and turn them into, you know, stories that you can tell and you can share. And always, you know, when I, when I think about how I became, you know, the, 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 the well-known or respected person in the industry is because you do respect other people in the industry. You have to respect the competition. There are many products out there. And I think that having that respect will gain you the respect of others as well. And they will see you as a credible person when you're objective, not when you're just talking about one brand but are you trying to elevate the whole category? No, I think that's and, a good point. I just want to hold on because I was talking yeah. to Julio and Thomas Cestis, which was a fantastic interview. Oh. And they were talking about, and Julio, have you ever gone to his academy at, 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 at his bar at Tommy's? I have he not. Has an entire, he has an entire tequila academy, which is hilarious to hear about because he, he literally got, you know, it started just for consumers and now it's like, it's really intense, but and in order for you to go to Mexico with him on a special trip, which we'd bring bartenders and other experts, you had to prove to him you could hold your liquor. So you had to like get really, which is not responsible anymore. We used to do that. But he said the one thing that it really that he respected was, you know, when brand, when bartenders would come down with a brand, one brand, they would say, hey, do you mind if I stay an extra couple of days so I can on my own dime? 
and go visit other distilleries so I can learn, you know, about the category. And he said that a lot of bartenders from London, he was taking down there. And he said that really impressed me a lot because it's not just about the brand. And it's something if you're somebody who's in the industry, if a brand is paying for you to go down, I highly recommend. I used to do it with Diageo. I was like, I'm going to stay for another like four or five days and go do. And so I can learn about the category as a whole. So it's a great point. Yes. Absolutely. And have, you know, that's when you have these conversations with the people that are making it. And, you know, you learn more with these conversations. I always say that education is a two way street. It's never one way. And I think being humble helps you. And, and that's why I love, you know, Mexico and the spirit from Mexico, because we do create these relationships, these friendships that go beyond just, you know, your brand that you're representing. But as a whole category, we're trying to elevate it. And being humble and, and, you know, learning from other people, it's always a, a great thing that is going to take you to, to wherever you want to you wanna get. No, fantastic. And I know we're going to talk about, I want to talk about building your personal brand, but I want to actually hear Giuseppe's story as well. And then we'll talk about some of the things that you guys both did to kind of build your reputation. So Giuseppe, you want to tell you, like, for you becoming an expert within the category, you know, what is your philosophy about becoming that person and becoming an expert? Well, to me, it was some of the things that York just shared, very similar. So you need to be, first of all, an ambassador of your own culture. So for me, it was natural being Italians, be able to travel around the world, spreading the word with Italianess, I would say. So with the Made in Italy, it was, it was very simple. I was also credible because, you know, with a strong Italian accent, like, you know, you're coming from south of Italy, people, they, they see a natural connection with the homeland of the category of the brand you're trying to talk about. But before that, I think the first couple of years for me was more, I started my position, I was 27 and a half years old. So I was very young to be a global brand ambassador, at least, you know, 12 years ago. And <laughs> to me, it was more trying to get one line and one message for all my friends and colleagues that I was available, I was there. I was there to work with them. So, and you know, I'm lucky because I was in a position, I was part of that uh, generation of bartenders in London, in UK, which is the golden generation, the generation of the Agostino Perrone, Eric Lawrence, Alex Cretina, you know, and then a few years later, uh, Simone Caporali comes over. And like, so like I was already part of that family. So for me, it was just about, guys, I'm here. What can we do together? Those guys, they used to run the best bars in the world. They're still running the best bar in the world. So it was all about trying to find the best way I could help them, I could work with them. And organically, it will help my position. It will help my new role as a global ambassador. Then from there, one thing I understood immediately was that there was no education around Vermouth. Mm -hmm. The reality is that 15 years ago, there was nobody trying to explain to people how Vermouth is made. And I said, okay, maybe I need to do a little bit of homework here, due diligence. Let me go back to Italy. Let me dig down, like, you know, Maragas to Magali Franco from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, mama. And, and I was, in, again, in a very lucky position to be able to speak directly with the expert who they were making vermouth for over 20, 25, 30 years wow. at the same level probably that York had with the massive distillery in Mexico, like, you know, so with the maestros. And I went there and I started to ask any sort of questions. And the main difference is the Italians, mainly the old-fashioned style or the conservative mentality, 
the main answer would be, no, we cannot tell you that. Ah, this is a secret. <laughs> really? As a, a, yes, a, a, okay, fine. But if it's a secret, the wine you're using to make vermouth, which is 80% of the liquid in the bottle, what do you want me to talk about to bartenders? That's crucial for them to know what is the base to make vermouth, and so on and so forth. Slowly, slowly, knock by knock, day by day, like <laughs> we got there, okay? So and that's that's uh, the way I tried to crack that. And actually, when the Julio was saying, no, you, Ellen, you were telling about uh, Julio, Bermeo, bringing people to Mexico and visiting other distilleries, so it was great to build a category. I did try once to say to all Italian producers, what about we doing a tour where we can invite partners from America or from Germany or from UK to visit five, six, seven, eight distillery? Italy is a very small country, so they can learn about Amaro, about Grappa, about Vermouth, about Prosecco. Impossible to make an agreement with them. <laughs> I can't imagine. Impossible. And so that one I give up. But it's like definitely I can bring this one to the world. I can export it. So let's make sure that I'm prepared, I'm knowledgeable enough, and I can back what I'm saying and what I'm presenting, and I need to present the category as a vermouth, as a maro, as a peritivi. I'm not just going around to talk about a single brand. However, into my training session, in my academy, of course, I will say thank you to the brand to pay salary to me, to pay the trip, to bring <laughs> me to this city or to that country, to spread the law for vermouth. Yeah, let's talk about that. We'll start with you about the Giuseppe with the because that really launched your career when you started you came to America and you started educating others about vermouth and you you had a concept. So let's talk about like, you know, you had this idea and like how it ended up you traveling around America and what you talked about. I have two people to say a huge thank you. The first one, it was Jacob Bryers. Jacob Bryers today is still the proxy director for Bacardi Global Brands. And when he started the job, I was already in that role for a few years. And he came to some sessions I was doing in Europe, in Italy, in, uh, in France, or in Spain. And he really, he really liked the way I was engaging with bartenders. And said, we need to bring this model, this program, to US because there is nobody who's doing the same kind of education in America. But Vermouth, we need to build the category. And it was the first one, and definitely it did help me massively to try to sell within the company. And I'm sure Jorge knows what I'm talking about, Elin, you as, yeah. you as well, yes. when you try to explain exactly why we should taste competitive brands. Yes. And a brand director, <laughs> they cannot understand why we need to taste another competitor's brand. Because <laughs> it, do doesn't, it doesn't exist one brand is better than other. They're all different. You need to understand what the differences are. Because the uh, knowledge and the craft of a bartending is to know what the liquid how it's made of and how to mix the balance in a cocktail. It's Absolutely. not about spotting, this is good, that one is bad. This is just a personal opinion. It's all good out there. It's all about having the right knowledge. And this one is Jacob. And we put up a project, a program called The Truth About Vermouth. And everybody loved the, the tagline. My English is very bad, but I came up with this line, the truth about vermouth, and everybody loved it. Like, who? why the truth about vermouth? Because like, like, you can ask any questions you have about vermouth, about any brands you want. We're going to have all the brands available. Let's try to analyze all of them. And I will never spend, and that's what I'm really proud of, in over like seven or eight years, no even one let's say negative word about another brand. 
it's all about education, it's all about the category. And the second one, Absolutely. it was a gentleman that you may know, it's called Philip Duff. And <laughs> in 2013, I like that we man. Actually, <laughs> we actually were in uh, 2012, we were in Portland for the Portland Cocktail Week, one of my favorite shows in the world, by the way. And we're having a little breakfast, and uh, I was sitting there with Philip, Dushan, and a few other people. And uh, Philip looked at me, he's like, Giuseppe, I think we should do a nice Vermouth Academy, Vermouth Institute at Tales of the Cocktail. Like, I like the ideas, like, you know, how we can do it. That's how we started to work together to put that one in place for 2013. And it was a three days, full, full, full room of people attending to the Vermouth Institute. And from there, I basically traveled. I was looking at the number. I done in five years, 21 different countries, 76 <laughs> different sessions, and 14 different cities just in US of two hour wow. session about the truth about vermouth of an Italian with a funny accent, which half of what I was saying, people, they could not understand it because of my accent. Like, you know, coming there and listen to me talking about vermouth. And literally I went from Tokyo to Brazil, to Australia, to Portland, to London and to Moscow. So literally I've been traveling to work, educating bartenders about vermouth. And that's how people are starting to appreciate I think the fact that I was trying to educate them about the whole category and telling them what I knew about every single brand and not just trying to sell them something. No, which is a fantastic, uh, such a fantastic approach. And I got to say, I, I, I give you, I'm always very thankful to you because I remember being, you know, at the bar, you know, at Diageo and making cocktails and, and you know, people would see me pull the vermouth out of the fridge and they'd be like, why, why do you have it in the fridge? And, you know, just having to explain over and over again, like what vermouth was and why it needed to be kept in the fridge to stay fresh. Or at least if it's in the well, it only has a certain amount of shelf life and you need to throw it out. So I was like, how long has your vermouth been in your well? They're like, we have no idea. I'm like, get rid of it now. And, you know, tasting one, two styles. So I took the playbook from you and uh, tried, tried to help it get moved to the next, <laughs> try to help, try to help where I could, you know, all those. It was my island. Yeah, <laughs> it was my hashtag. Every time, like, you know, keep your vermouth in the fridge. Keep your vermouth in the fridge. In the fridge. <laughs> I love it. Now, I know Mario, you created something very similar, which I know is not easy in in Diageo, especially trying to convince them to talk about competitive brands. I always give the funny story when I used to make cocktails with like Saint Germain when it came out, and they'd be like, "We don't own Saint Germain. You can't use Saint Germain." And I'm like, "We don't have an elderflower liqueur. It's the only one that exists, and it's the bartender's ketchup." If I put it in a cocktail, it's going to sell. And they're like, I don't understand. I'm like, you don't have to. Just stop, pretend you don't see it and just move on. So getting them to talk about other tequilas is quite incredible. They've moved on a long time since then. But yeah, back then it was hard. It was 2006. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's one of the things that I've always been very grateful, you know, to for having the trust of Diageo. And they have given me the, the tools necessary to actually do this type of education that doesn't only talk about certain brands, but the whole category and being at the, I, I started with Juan uh, Morgan that was doing the blending lab with Johnny Walker. And uh, we were talking about doing something that was unique to the agave category. So we put together this agave lab that yes, was talking about Don Julio and, and other Diageo brands, but we were talking about other brands about understanding the terror to give an example. 
the highlands of Jalisco versus the Valley of Tequila, how different it is. And like Giuseppe said, it's not that it's better or worse, it's just different. And understanding these differences is, is only by really tasting them side by side. So that's what we started doing, including agave spirits in the mezcal category, and also other spirits that are not even agave, like Soto. So tasting Raicilla, tasting Bacanora, side by side. And that really took a lab of its own. It became really a, an, a, an amazing lab that people were really interested in attending. I had some people even doing it for, for three times, traveling. I had one person <laughs> traveling from Washington to Chicago to see it for the third time. So you get these reactions that are very unique. And that's what happens when you really focus yourself into the education of, of people in the industry and not just jamming you know, your brands down their throats. This is about understanding a category and being objective. And that's how you get your credibility as well. So I'm very thankful for the idea for always, you know, believing in, in this education and giving me the tools to, to do it. Yeah, and also it changed how your the ambassador program was run, right? Because that inspired other programs. Talk yes, about that, that, that inspired, you know, this, we started with the blending lab with Jenny Walker, then it was the Agave lab, then we just saw the opportunity to expand the education on, on other categories. So they started, we started doing a vodka lab, gin lab, there was a rum lab, a batching lab. So this really took a lab of its own and really this education became some of the best in class in the industry. And that actually was the platform for this new program that we're on that is called the Agio Hospitality Partnership that the focus is actually in education. So now we have in every major city, we have a team that are two types of uh, positions locally. One is the educator and, and the other one is the, the advisor. So they saw the, the value in education, how really it helped the people in the industry to understand the categories and to understand how to use these uh, products and really to, to elevate all these categories. Because education, you know, is, is, is never ending. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know that much. Exactly. <laughs> so, and going back to what we're talking about, you guys being experts, I mean, you're still always growing, right? You don't have to know everything at once. And you're, you're constantly learning new things as you grow in your career and about new categories and about because it's, it's, it's really hard to be an expert on everything. It's good to be, have an expertise on, on one thing. It does help. And then it will help you build everything else in your career. I was going to say, for Giuseppe... You know, one of the biggest things is that you went from being a brand ambassador, consultant to a brand owner. And while you were working for Bacardi, I know you really, you kind of had a career path in your mind. Like you decided on this, like what your goal was going to be at a certain point in your career. Like, you know, that you weren't going to be a brand ambassador forever and what you wanted to do next. So, you know, to become a brand owner or, you know, it really needs to educate yourself. You need to understand how that works, strategy, budgets, marketing, all those things. Can you tell us like a little bit about your path? Like how you went from like your career path within Bacardi to, and what you did for yourself to get yourself to the next level? I, I, was, I will tell you, first of all, Aline, that my main goal, it was always trying. That's uh, right, Anthony. <laughs> exactly. Just on this point, Anthony, like, you know, just going back to the previous one, keep learning is, is, is always like an aim and objective. And then when you sit and you talk with a master distiller about agave spirits or about how vermouth is made, then you understand that you don't know nothing about the category. 
like you know and it's like you know so don't behave as you know the rest of the world because there are people out there they're very humble they've been doing this for all their life and they know 100 times more than us anyway going back to your question Eileen. for me it was always very important like i'm a very curious person i'm coming from a very remote region of south italy a very small village where the aim in the life of most of my friends it was to find a secure job at the local post office right like i build a family i just like that's it and decide what to eat on sunday for, for lunch like for me it was about learning different things because everybody was telling me when i was young that i couldn't do it because i had no education because i was from a very poor region of italy like and i said no i'm gonna travel i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it myself so when i actually i find the way that i could learn more and i can absorb different information like, you know, I literally like dive myself into it. I went to a meetings when I was working on Bacardi on brand positioning, on brand structure or brand hierarchy of repackaging of new product development that they were not part, part of my daily duty or my responsibility. Not because I was asked to, to be in these meetings, but because I knew that just listening in there and taking notes, I will learn something new. And then go back home and try to study, like, and dig a little more and, more and asking questions. Then, I, with the years working with Bacardi, I actually find that developing new projects, new products, new brand, it was what I really loved to do. And to come up with this very unusual idea and with a different story, I tried to create almost a brand from a white piece of paper, like when I write the whole story, it was so amazing to me. And, you know, one of my first projects with, with Martini Rossi was to launch a limited edition of Martini Gold with the Dolce Gabbana. So I see these two giant Italian brands together try to come up with a product. For me, it was like a mind-blowing, like, you know, sitting in a room after three weeks, I was hired by the brand with uh, Stefano Gabbana and Domenico Dolce. Presenting wow. them to the liquid, like it's like, of course, like it didn't work out. I had to, you know, go back a few times. But you know, it was like, wow, I have this. They give me the key to drive a Ferrari. Let me learn how to drive before I'm gonna put the first gear. That right. was my aim. And then from there, I remember with I had done almost eight years within Bacardi. I personally worked and launched seven new products, brands under the Bacardi or Martinio brand. And at one point, I also said, like, why do I need to compromise on everything? It's a time now to do my own one, which it can sound crazy. It can mean nuts, but I will try to do it, and I will do it entirely on my own, as I wish a brand it should be with a made in Italy. And that's how I come up with Italian Pusadio. No, which is fantastic. And I think the fact that you took the initiative, and it's something you know, not everybody would think of to ask, say, hey, do you mind if I sit in this meeting? I would like to, I'd like to understand this a little bit more and to take notes. I'm assuming that's how it happened, right? You, you ask people like, hey, can I be part of this? And, you know, it is sometimes, you know, it's a great point. It's like, sometimes it's like, if you know you have a goal or even just you just know you might want to change someday, you know, you might want to just move into something else or just understand the business a little bit more. There's so many, I found that executives are so open to having deeper conversations and so many of them, you know, want to mentor people. Like they have all this knowledge, they would love to share it with you. So it's like, can I just have a meeting with you, you know, once a month to like pick your brain or to get a better understanding of like how the industry works and 
you know, how you got to where you are. And it is something I, I definitely didn't take enough advantage of. And now some of the people I used to work at Diageo are actually some of my mentors now. They've reached out to me and, and they, you know, and they're offering to help me build my business, which is I'm so grateful for. Some of them are my clients, so which is also really kind of cool. It's like you never know where life's gonna go. And I was like, wow, I didn't know you respected me that much, but okay, this is great. This is it all works out. So it is something, it's taking that initiative. So it's it's a great point. To me, one I, I still remember this date. I was in a tour in a visit in the US, and always knew that the US route to market is different compared to Europe, is the three-tier system that in Europe most of us we are completely ignorant about the three-tier system, but what it is, why it's there, how it works. And I remember asking the brand executive, the VP brand executive for Martina Rossi Mayhem at Bacardi office, like, you mind if I'm going to go around with your sales team in Miami for a couple of days? And the guy looked at me like, you know, like, if you're working for the marketing team, why you want to go around with the salespeople? Well, I said, I want to learn how you sell the brand here, how you sell the product, what kind of conversation you have at the bar with those bartenders with the beverage director, like, you know, what's the language, what's the code there? Because I'm sure it's different comparing to Europe. And I'm sure there are things that here you can say or you cannot say that we cannot do in Europe. So I want to learn something new about the biggest spirits market in the world. And it turned out to be very useful previously. Yeah, I think that's right. It definitely is something like taking the initiative. I, I think in people, I always said about this industry, it's the one thing I've always loved. It, if you're willing to learn, there's somebody there to teach you. I think it's probably the one thing I've seen over and over again. There's somebody out there, if you just ask, you know, like, hey, I would love to learn this, you know, could you teach me this? Like, you know, whatever. There's so many people out there who are just willing to share their knowledge with you. And, they, and most people don't keep it close to the vest. You know, I'm sure like the Mysterios from, you know, the, the must. Am I saying it correctly? Not the Mysterios, the Masters. Yes, thank you. In, in, you know, in going to Mexico and sitting down with the distillers and having them teach you some of the knowledge that you had, you know, they didn't have to share that with you. Yes, that, that's one of the things that I, I always think when I started. You, when you start getting a knowledge or, or, you know, making friendship with people that know more than you, sometimes we are afraid of asking. We're afraid of looking like fools and we don't want to put ourselves in, into that uh, vulnerability. But mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest mistakes that I, I made, you know, is, is that if, if I could, you know, tell everybody out there, it's like, ask, there's no dumb question. There's no stupid question. Nobody, you know, was born knowing everything. So mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's one of the, the biggest things that I think I learned throughout the years of not being afraid and going to Mexico and, and really talking to the people that make it because you know with these conversations when we're, we're doing the agave lab it's a two-way conversation as, as i was telling you it's a conversation and you get asked questions that you don't know and you have to be honest and say i don't know and that gives you the opportunity to go back to mexico or, or wherever and talk to the the experts that are making the product and say you know what is exactly happening here what is the answer and sometimes you get even opposite answers you don't yes. get you know a straight answer so you need to understand you know the the, the whole context of, of who's telling you and research more and the consensus you know where everybody most of the people it's telling you that's what you you start you know teaching so it's it's always an ongoing conversation an ongoing thing that never stops yeah, and I also, one thing I've learned is a couple of brand ambassadors told me they have a direct contact with their master distillers. 
So they can literally, they've been on stage and they're like, somebody asked them a question and they're like, I don't know the answer to that, but give me a minute. Let me text the master distiller. And they were like, you can text the master distiller. Like Dave Mitten told me this from uh, Lot 40 and oh my God, who I was talking to last week. They, they were like, yeah, I just texted. And they were like, whoa, you got the answer back. Because you always get that asshole, right? That always asks you things that are like, who would really know the answer to? And it's like really technical and they don't even know the answer. They're just being a smart ass and they want to know. And sometimes you really just want to be able to say, yeah, give me a second. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. You don't know. You can always say, I don't know. It's like, you know what? It's just something I I, I just don't know, but I, I will gladly find it out. But it, it's, it's hard. It, it is sometimes hard, but asking the right questions. Yeah. Not being, and being humble. Being I think humble. It's a big one. Yeah, <laughs> Elaine, this very, this very specific example. I was actually with uh, Philip in Buenos Aires <laughs> for yeah. uh, Tales from Turo 2014 because the Vermont Institute that tells of the cocktail was such a success that we were asked to go to Buenos Aires. So we go there, and one of the questions coming from the audience was like, you know, but uh, the vermouth made here in Argentina or in South America, it's it's imported from Europe. And obviously the answer is no, it's made there locally because it just would be too expensive to make it in Europe ship to Latin America. But so what kind of wine do you use? Where it's coming from? It's different. Like, and of course, I didn't know. I was not prepared how technically it's made the vermouth in South America. I thought it was very similar. And actually, like, I'm jumping on a backstage. I'm giving a call to the master blender of Martino Rossi. <laughs> and he's giving literally like in three minutes speech, bam, 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 bam. Like, you know, all the information I needed. I'm, Working out, it's like, okay, I, just, I got a text from the master blender. That's the wine, that's the region, that's where it is. <laughs> ah, by the way, like, you know, Montevideo in Uruguay is the largest Piemontese population outside of Italy. Because all the people <laughs> from that region that were migrating here 100 years ago, on top of wow. it. So now we understand why it's so popular, Fernet and Vermouth and so on and so forth in Argentina and South America. Like, wow. And everybody like it just blow up. It's like you know how possible. It's like that's <laughs> ends of that's the great advance you have when you can speak directly with your master distiller. You really, I think it's every brand ambassador should have direct access to their to their master if their master distiller actually exists. Okay, so now we're going to talk about like more of the technical stuff, like managing people or being managed, right? So you know, being managed is being managing others and being a mentor to others, brand ambassadors, any people, like when it's people and people, it's not just technical, it's, it's emotions. And you have to, you have to actually work with them. And every single person is different and it's complicated, right? So I, I want to go over like, what do you think, you know, you, and you both have been managed by other people, right? And I, you know, you still have a manager there is also like, so what are some of the fundamentals of a good manager when it comes to brand ambassadors? Because the brand ambassador role is so unique and it's one that you're in the field most of the time, you don't even see your manager. So is there like some ground rules that you believe like most managers that you've seen, like this is the best practice that you believe is like a way to manage your brand ambassadors? Just happy I'll actually start with you and uh, Jorge next. Thank you. The, yeah, the first things I will do, I, I had a many, many line managers, right? So I had all different experiences. And all of them, they were coming with a different background. The first thing I will definitely say, do not take the bartender's DNA out of your brand ambassador, okay? That one always need to live within the brand ambassador. Mm-hmm. The brand ambassador, you need to feel part of the bartender's community. It cannot be an 
identity completely detached from the bar industry. You need to be within the bar industry, not outside the bar industry. You're part of that family. You respect them, you live with them, you work with them. That's the first rule, definitely. Don't try to make them a mini brand manager, a mini salespeople. They are brand ambassador. They do advocacy. It's a different game. They need to speak the same language as bartenders. That's the first one. Then, obviously, I know that there are lots of issues, challenges that are coming with the micromanagement. There is a lot of executives that do not trust brand ambassador. They think the brand ambassador is just like you know, the last new talented bartenders who's going to go around and spend some money. It's not that. Of course, they need to understand the rules of the company. They need to respect and they need to understand there is not a magic tree where you can go and pick dollars and just pay for the bills. Like that one, they need to be generated by sales and by some other stuff, by the business. Like you need to explain, but it's a process. Yes. Most of the bartenders, most of their life, they're working with the hands. At some point, the hands, they got to relax and they're starting to work more with the brain. It's mm -hmm. not an automatic switch. It takes some time to get there. So you need to drive them, you need to guide and explain step by step. And not everybody's that quick. And in the end, the thing that I definitely will recommend everybody, you need to empower your brand ambassador. Yes. Too many times I've seen brand ambassadors which they even scared to, make, to give an answer. Brand ambassador, they sitting at the bar. One of the first rules that I'm always giving to all our ambassadors is you got to sit at the bar, you don't sitting at the table. You always sit at the bar because you need to talk with the bartenders. You need to watch what they're doing. You need to understand which one is the spirits, the bottles, they're working mostly. And then you're going to start to understand. Don't bother them. Don't disturb them. Be nice. Be respectful. Leave the tips. But like you sit at the bar. And when you sit at the bar and the bartender is asking you questions, the brand ambassador, you need to be empowered to give an answer, to make a decision, to make a call. I see a lot of ambassadors that they're just like, they don't even know what to answer. They answer a corporate line, which they've been brainwashed for six months. <laughs> Why? Like, you know, they're not signing off a billion dollar advertising campaign. They may gonna sign off a hundred dollars bill, no more than that. Right. So empower them to make decisions. Do not micromanage them and make sure they buy into your vision so they can really spread your brand cradle. Yeah, there is nothing more frustrating, I know for bar owners on your point about the empowerment because, and it's also frustrating for a brand ambassador, it's like suddenly somebody wants you to sponsor something, it's really cool, you know it's the right fit for the brand, you know, it's it's everything the brand is stands for and you're like, I'm gonna have to get back to you. And it goes, you know, and you send the email and the brand manager like doesn't respond. And then you have to wait. And the person's like, hey, the event's happening in two weeks. And it's like, it's like two, it's like, you know, it's $500. And it's like, all right, that's a brand. Like, I know I can spend it. I have the budget for it. But is it legal? And then it has to go to the legal department. And then it has to do it. It's like, there's got to be some guidelines. But like, here's what's legal. Who's not legal? Like, just say yes. Anything under this amount of money, you can just say yes to, you know, and I know it's hard because under big corporations, but it is frustrating for probably the bar as well to not be able to say yes and to have that and for the brand ambassador. You feel stupid. Yeah, you don't feel in charge. I'm going back to my first, you know, when we started today, it's like, you know, you need to make sure that you can talk with your colleagues or with your friends and tell them how can we work together, how we can cooperate together. 
So that's that, that's that's very important. Like by the way, my regards to Dean, my regards my regards to Natasha. We can see a lot of friends. Those are real ambassadors, not me. Those are real ambassadors. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, just to, to build on um, what you said, I said exactly, you know, you need to set them up for success, for them to understand the vision of what is the responsibilities, like these, you know, expectations, what are the needs, what exactly you are supposed to do. So to me, it's always about like from the start an onboarding education where you can give them the tools necessary so they can be successful. What are the guidelines? What exactly you're supposed to do? What you're not supposed to do? So communication is key here. And I think that you have to lead by example. You have to tell them, you know, this is what I have done that has taken me here. A lot of times we share presentations, we share, you know, information, but you need to make it relatable, you know, with, with examples of everyday life. And also managing the environment. Sometimes, you know, every single company has a very different environment and you need to create your own environment with your team. I think that's very important to build trust. If they don't trust you, they're never going to come and ask you for, for things that you were saying, you know, there's an event and they want this. You need to be able to tell the truth. This is what's going to cost. This is what are the things that I need, you know, to make a successful event or whatever it is. And that is the only way that you're going to get the real answers. And I think, you know, when you're managing teams, it's important for them to know that you have their backs. You are there yes. to support them. So one of the things that I've seen always is like people try to manage it and this is what you're supposed to do. And the, but they don't make you feel part of, of the team or that you are, you know, they give you air cover. They're going to be there for you. If you make a mistake, we're going to learn from it. Don't worry about it. You know, so empowering the team is important, but with that understanding that you're going to be standing there no matter what. Of course, well, no matter what is saying, there's certain <laughs> things that you should not be doing. But, but definitely having that trust, the feeling that they, they are there for you, it's, it's very important. I think it's so funny laying out for Brandon Master, you know, here's like the top, like, because so many people worry about getting fired. I, I have this conversation with brand ambassadors all the time, right? Because they're out there. You have a random job, like you don't see your manager very often. And sometimes you're not sure if you're always doing everything the, the right way because you don't hear from them for like weeks at a time and you're kind of doing your job. And, and you know, it's like, tell them the fight. Here's the things that would get you fired. Like, boom, boom, boom. Like, you know, whatever it may be. It's like, you know, this is if you put this on social media, that's going to get you fired if you do this. Because so many brand ambassadors have this fear and they're like, and I have had this conversation. I'm like, you know how hard it is to get fired? It's really hard. There are definitely certain things that are going to get you fired. But most things, they spent a lot of time hiring you and investing in you and like spending a lot of money on you. It's going to take a lot. They don't want to fire you. They, they want to actually keep you on board. But there are certain things like if we see, you know, lack of performance, whatever it may be like. But being really specific, I think, might help a lot of people not be in the gray zone. Because <laughs> I think people yeah. worry about that. That's true. Like in my experience, there's two th big things that, you know, can get you fired. The two big things are budgets, like yeah. manage your budget yeah. and don't do anything stupid when you're out, you know, working yeah. or in a trip. You know, that it happens a lot that you go to for a trip somewhere with the team and you forget that you're still working and you do something yeah. stupid or overconsume. And that's those are the two big ones. The, the rest yeah, is manageable. 
don't go to a strip joint and use your expense account, like just and to buy, you know, a couple thousand dollars in lap dances. I've seen that happen. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we all have stories of things people have done. Go ahead, you mean don't go to Portland, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I think Portland, that's where all the good bars are. So I think you have to do that. It's important to run that off and rent as much as they And it's hard for them too. Yeah, it is true. That's a great point, Dean. A lot of people are good at marketing and not very good at managing people because they have not been trained. It's the one training that most people never get. It's like, you just have to figure it out. You and, you and Morgan told me that. He's like, yes, I only had a team of like 50, like 25 people. His boss, he's like, I've never managed anybody. He's like, so you had to figure it out. Don't go to Portland. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, it's been a it's been a while. It's been a while. But I think that's a, a really good point, Dean. And you do have to work with them. But I think also giving on the last point of this is giving feedback also, giving positive feedback, working with them, recognizing when they've done things, making sure the company recognizes when the company's had a big success and like you know, the brand ambassador was part of a program that really succeeded, like part of an advertising campaign, but they were their part, like they executed it you know, their programs that was like helping to support the, the marketing campaign, you know, and a lot of times marketing, they forget and they don't actually, they discount the brand ambassador's role in whatever they were doing. I've seen that done a, a lot actually, but they just don't get the credit. So making sure they get all the credit that it, that is due. And also as a brand ambassador, you have to make sure you get your credit by telling everybody all the good stuff you're working on. I think that's, that's that's one of the things that happens a lot. We are so into the work every day that we forget to put something together to share yeah. our wins. And that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. you really got to share your wins and let people know what, you, what you're working on or else people just, they forget, right? It's like, especially when you're out in the field, I always tell people two things that are not, so nobody, nobody starts to wonder what you're doing. Do your expenses, get them in on time, send your reports in on time. And I said, just send like, here's our successes of the week and CC everybody whether they want your report or not so they are like oh look what our brand ambassadors are doing it will help your career so much <laughs> and it's free you just have to take the time to do it all right so next question all right so let's talk a little bit about you know sorry i'm going to read my my questionnaire because i forgot the actual job so being a brand ambassador part of the job because giuseppe you and i talked about it i'm sure already you have some thoughts on this because you know being a brand ambassador obviously takes some finesse when you're dealing with buyers at the bar and how you present your brand and not just jamming it down your throat. So like, what are some things you would recommend for how a brand ambassador actually works for the buyer so, and, and speaks with them the first time, like when they're approaching them? Any, any thoughts? Giuseppe, I'll start with you. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Absolutely. Mainly when it's the first time you're working in one bar, or a bar or an account for the first time, completely forget about trying to sell something. Just go there and experience the bar, have a drink, make sure that when you leave, they know who you are at the end, not when you arrive. Don't arrive with your business card from your pocket right away. You know who I am. <laughs> Nobody cares who you are, okay? Be a customer, enjoy the bar, enjoy the vibe, enjoy the drinks. Have another round, offer to your friends, leave some tips. And by the way, at the end, it's like, you know, I would love to come back and have a little chat with you if it's possible. Don't try to sell anything. As I said, like yeah. you're part of that community. Bartenders, brand ambassador, brand owners, 
salespeople, they're part of the same community, which is the bar community. You need to make sure that you respect them. They're starting to know you, that you're breaking the ice with them, and then from there you can have a little bit more honest, professional, like a straightforward conversation. Absolutely. Don't go there with your sales head like, you know, yes, let's try to sell something now. No, 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 no. You need to go there to make sure you know the bartenders by name next time you're going to work in this bar. And you're going to say, hey, Jorge, hey, Aline, how are you doing tonight? Like, you know, what is your special cocktail tonight? That should be your goal for the next time you're going to work in this bar. And things they're going to work out. I'm yeah. sure because the bartenders, they want to work with the brands. They want to help and support from the ambassadors. But they do not want this arrogance. They don't want this pushing strategy, trying to sell you something. Calm down, relax. Step by step, we're going to get there. We are not here for the 100 meters run. We are here for the Olympic marathons. It's all about making it at the end. Correct, Jorgen? Exactly. You know, just to echo some of the things that you were saying. I think that because of the culture, the Italian culture, I'm, I'm half Mexican, half Greek, and it's the same, it's the hospitality. You need to create these relationships, you know, before you even, even step into the business in Mexico. You sit down for a lunch, business lunch, and you have your meal, you, you talk about sports and politics, anything you like, and then after you start talking about business. And I think that that approach, I learned it from very early in, in, in my career. And that's how you really become partners with these buyers, with these managers and owners. They understand who you are. You understand who they are, what are their needs, and, and try to partner up so that you can have win-win situations. Yes. And I think that that's, that's the key here, communication, knowing what they're lack, what, what they're struggling with. What do they need or the staff, what they need? If, if you don't understand their business, you're never going to be able to help them. And you can only understand it if you have these conversations and you make it more into a personal relationship. No, absolutely. You have to have, and you guys still hear me because one of my earbuds just died. <laughs> we can hear uh, okay, okay, good. As you know, it, it is a great point. It's like, you know, because sometimes if you come working with, you know, people from, and to Dean's point, yes, you're right, Dean, brand managers don't get a lot of love and they probably should get a marketing award because some of them are definitely much better than other ones. So I have definitely worked with good ones and some bad ones. And, and you're right. It's a good point. I was going to say, and also when you're in that, in that bar, like getting to know that relationship, but also you need to, and just something we talked about this, it's also having a goal while you're in there. So every time you visit, it could be just getting to know the bartender's names and having that conversation, like getting to know them a little bit more. It could be like while you're sitting at the bar, acknowledging like what the competitive brands are and how they're using them. So you can start to understand their bar program a little bit more and where your brand can work for them. Like, why your brand is going to be a benefit them for them to have behind the, the bar. Sometimes you find out, actually, it probably just might not work there at all. Sometimes if there are bars, like I've walked in, I'm like, yep, nope. It, like four of my brands, I have a whole, like are not going to work here, but this one will. And this is why I know. So it's going to be a win-win. As you said, Jorge, it's going to be a win-win. And and the last point to just have about building a relationship, absolutely don't shove your brand down. I know that was an early mistake I made because I was like so anxious to like try to sell, especially on work with. It's like you only have you don't have, you don't have a lot of time. I don't go on a Friday night when it's three deep at the bar because they spark brand ambassadors still do this and I can't believe it. I, I hear it all the time. 
Yeah, or a Thursday night, you know, go on Mondays and Tuesdays or Wednesdays when it's quiet. Right now, obviously, it's a little bit different. People will be just happy to see you. But still, like a lesson to know, but all, all really, really great points. So I also want to talk about, so one of the other parts about being a brand ambassador is obviously being a storyteller and a great presenter. It is a skill set that maybe you don't have always when you come on. It's something after you practice it a lot, you get better at it. But I just want to talk like, what are some of the things that, you know, both of you guys are really great presenters. I've had the pleasure of seeing you present many times. You know, what do you think makes a great presenter and how do people get to that, to that level? Either one. Just happy. Go ahead. I go? <laughs> it's, uh, okay. It's, uh, no, although bartenders, they are natural, usually brand ambassador, they're coming from the bartender's world, natural performances, I will say. Public speaking, presenting in front of a crowd of 100 people, 1,000 people is a different game. Yes. With a mic, with a speech, with a presentation, with a time frame, with a clock. Like it's a complete, with a TV script, it's a completely different game. Now, in order to be able to do that, you need to study. You need to invest in yourself. I personally always going to be thankful to the company, Bacardi, that they spend thousands of dollars to teach me public speaking, how to pronounce my name correctly for people who are not Italians, how to make sure people they will understand my speech, how to answer a question, how to do an interview, like you know, how to get the message across, how to catch the attention of the public as well. And I will give you like a very small example that I'm sure both of you already know. One way to keep the attention high with in a one-hour seminar, at some point, somebody's going to fall asleep anyway. So the only way to keep their attention high is to ask them questions. So rather than them asking questions to you that you presented, you're asking questions to them. And all of them, even if it's 1,000 people, they feel on the spot. They're starting to look around, to hide their face, and try to, like, my friend maybe want to answer. That's, that's one just over the small tip they're giving to you, those public speaking. I personally done sessions and courses with a former actor, theater actor, presenter, journalist, to learn how to do those kind of presentations. You need to train yourself. One thing I understood, you can't be short with your breath. You need to go for a run because one hour presenting a seminar, you need to have the breath and the power to present and to speak for 60 minutes. That means you got to go for a run in the morning. You see the difference when like you had a big night out and then you need to present in the morning that like you're preparing yourself, be very concentrated, focus, like sober at presenting versus having a big night out and then show up at presenting. And I will repeat the Bible of the brand ambassador rules, I would say. They're coming from the greatest Simon Ford. In the <laughs> bartender's movie, at one point he said, bartenders are like rock star. They want to show up and sing the song without learning how to play instrument. <laughs> well, to be a brand ambassador, you need to learn how to play guitar and bass and all the instruments before you're going to be able to sing. Yes. And that's probably more than 50% of what you need. Then, you need to have this kind of personality, which is a 
person for the people, a people person, right? Like you need to, you need to love to be with the people around you. You need to interact with them. You need to be able to connect even mentally with them when you present and not just physically with the presentation or with the tasting. They need to follow you. They need to follow your vision of what you're trying to explain. And that one is a very unique skills that very few ambassadors really can get this message across. And you see the difference between the one who can engage and click with the audience and the one who just repeating his speech once again, who learned it, he knows very well by just repeating it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Those are all, all, all great points. Go ahead, Harry. And the same, you know, I, I think every time I do a presentation, it's going to be a unique scenario. So you need to understand who's your audience. That's the first thing. Who's your audience? If it's going to be, you know, a, a tequila dinner where everybody already had a couple of drinks, it's going to be very different than a seminar. So understanding your audience is going to help you tailor what you're going to be talking about, how you're going to be actually engaging with the audience. So as Giuseppe was saying, questions are great. They always keep them in their toes. And having a two-way conversation, like I, I hate just going somewhere and just talking, talking, talking. No, this is a conversation. This is always, you know, trying to inspire others as well and getting questions that you have never been asked before. And through storytelling, and we were talking about, through your everyday experiences or unique experience that you have had in the past, bring them to life. I think that's, that's the key. Be relatable. And be passionate. Yes. I mean, you, you know, whatever you do, you, you, you speak about, if you're not passionate about whatever you're going to be speaking out, people are going to notice and they're not going to follow. People yeah. notice that. You can, you can teach somebody a lot about, you know, chemistry and the engineers and, you know, the fermentation distillation. But if you don't make it relatable, you don't make it fun, if you don't make it interesting and they can see that you hate that or you're not passionate about it, they're going to be disengaged. So that's, that's the key thing. Be passionate. No, being, being passionate really does. I mean, I, I watch, I was actually talking to Daniel Jones, who's the global brand ambassador for Angostura Rum, and, you know, and also Ian Burrell. They're probably two of the most engaging speakers. I mean, there's a lot of engaging, like they're, they are amazing. And they're just really passionate about the topic you're talking about. It just like comes off of them and in, in so much. And it's just like, you want to be engaged and they're, you know, they, they, you know, and also just looking friendly and happy and like people want to like you because you look happy. You're, you're glad to be there having that conversation with them, which is, I think is really important. And I will actually note my husband, he, he does, actually, my husband makes very good presentations. And the one thing he does well is he just uses pictures, right? He doesn't use a lot of text. So when he makes a PowerPoint presentation, it's a lot of pictures. It's also because he's able to memorize everything in his head and he knows it inside and out. But I've been reading so it's very frustrating if you go to back to go reference the slides because it has nothing on it besides a giant picture. <laughs> You're like, you have to take notes, but it's being able to tell that story. And I actually looked it up. I was looking about what makes the itch factor, right? What people, why do people have it and some people don't? And watching TED Talks is a great way, you know, to understand people give great presentations and they work with people. And the reason I brought up the Phillips presentations, because that's what they encourage people to do which is just have lots of, like just pictures, very few words, lots of pictures. And they work with their presenters for six months to make sure they memorize, but not only memorize their presentation, it becomes part of who they are. Because you can tell when somebody just memorizes something. I know when I'm presenting something that is something I'm not that comfortable with, it doesn't come off. But when I know something inside and out and I, I feel it, like I'm engaging. But when, if you just get up there, as Giuseppe said, like, 
you've been out the night before and you're just rocking and like you have to present it shows it's like you're just saying the words on the page and people fall asleep so you have to really kind of bring it all and i don't know about the running beforehand but i definitely drink i do these voice exercises and you know and i practice my presentation in front of the mirror like I do my presentation first to kind of see how my body language is and, and how I'm engaging. It, it really does kind of help to kind of practice it that way. At least that's something that I do. Do you practice yeah. before? <laughs> well, it depends. If it's, you know, a topic that I, I don't, I'm not very comfortable. Yes, definitely. With agave spirits, I'm more comfortable. So it, it's more natural, you know, whatever it comes, I'm, I'm usually ready. But one of the, the, the things that you were saying is that, yeah, keep it simple. And sometimes, you know, people retention is going to be very limited. They're going to remember the main three key things, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And that, that's the key. Yeah. How you made them feel is really, really important. Let's also talk about, you know, how do you recommend that a bar owner works with a brand ambassador? Because this is something that bar owners have asked me, like, how do I get the most out of the relationship? Giuseppe, you can I start with you while I get my earbud. <laughs> Absolutely. Talk amongst Absolutely. yourselves, but answer the question because there are people answering. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very important that I would say you, you always respect the partnership and the friendship that you have with the bar owners and with the bartenders. And also, you keep it professional, you keep it as a business. Obviously, you want to have a, a special eye for your friends and for your partners and make sure that you support them as much as you can, but keep it professionally. Understand that the brand is not just you or what you want to do or what you can do with this bar. There are some priority for the brand and there are some priority for the bar. You need to make sure that as any good bartenders, you do the right mix. You take the best priority from the bar, the one that you have from the brand, and you try to blend them together. It must be always a compromise. Just to close with this one with, with Jorg, I think at the end, whatever project, whatever program you want to roll out in this venue, in this location with the bar and with the bartenders, you need to work from both sides. You need to be in the both interest of the brand yes. and of the bar business to work out. It's not just one or another. We're working together. That's why for me it's very important. Never forget that we are part of the same community. Take it no, easy. And I... There is nothing that a nice... Pizza lunch can sort it out, correct, Jorge? <laughs> correct. No, I think it's so true. And also, I, I, I didn't hear all the points, but I, I was going to say the, the one thing that I have told some brand ambassadors, it's like sometimes you're going to meet the bar owner or the buyer who's just not that person. They're never going to be your partner. They, they, they don't know how to have that, that partnership with and with you. And sometimes you have to move on. You know, it's like, you know, I, I, it's like, you just have to move on. It's like, this is never going to be a, a win-win. You're going to be replaced as soon as you spend money there. And then somebody else comes in and spends more money. They're going to just take you out. And that's not something you can build a, a relationship with. And you just have to cut your losses and be like, and, and, you know, I've, I've seen that pressure and I'm, I'm sure all of you have where somebody, your marketing person or somebody's like, we want to be in this account. We have to be in this account. This is the best account, you know? And you're like, Okay, I'm letting you know, like, I, I've done all the things you're supposed to do, but this is not a person that we should work with. You know, it's just, it might be a great bar, but right now it's not the right, it's not the right fit. And probably in six months from now, that person's not going to be here anymore because they're not a good, because usually people like that don't last very long in their position. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't, you know, give me a year and that person, there's probably somebody else I can work with. 
You have yeah, to be patient. I've, absolutely. We run into that a lot. And I think every time I go into an account, I think, how am I going to tell them what I do? How can I help them? And for them to understand that it's not a one week, one month thing. This is a, a marathon like we were talking about. This is a long year commitment of supporting in different ways and bringing value to the account. What is value? That's the thing. Find out what is of value to them because value is different to each one of us and every account. So value, if you find what is valuable to them, you, can able, you are able to help them. That's going to become you know, your starting point to have a relationship that is a, a whole 365 you know, day of the year, making sure that you're supporting them. No, and that's what the relationship starts. Yeah. Absolutely. I have to ask, Anthony put up here your rule of three. What is your rule of three? I think he said this to me yesterday, and I can't remember what it was. We have in the Diageo Hospitality Partnership with Gregor Katanak uh, the rule of three that it keep it simple. Always try to organize whatever you're going to be speaking about. And of course, have you know your, your main objective, your introduction, your three points. And in these three points, just the basic three points in each of them, and then a conclusion. If you have that at least, you have you know, a guide to, to really get you to speak about what's important instead of just losing yourself into you know, many different topics. I think that's a good rule. <laughs> I like, I like that. I like that. The rule of these. And Anthony had something else to say. When the manager, I both know you are the right fit, but you cannot compete with another portfolio that's playing to play. That's a hard one. Any, any thoughts on that, gentlemen? Well, paying to play, it's always going to be part of this industry. And, uh, you know, that's a long, that's a short-term relationship. That's a very short-sighted relationship. Once they think that you're just there to pay them you're a credit card basically and you lose you you really lost the respect of of the account you need to but really simple, he's saying the manager and the buyer both know that you are the right person they want to work with you but there is somebody else that they are, are paying more money and i get it it's a business decision sometimes yeah, yeah. it's gonna happen you have to deal with it. it it's gonna happen it's a reality of of our industry and you there's nothing that you can do if they decide to go that route but that's why you also have the, the power to partner up with the right accounts, with the right people that understand what you're bringing your value. So yeah. it's a both yeah. ways. Does that uh, if, if I may on this side, Jorge, because in Europe, we don't have the treaty system. So paying to play is actually the normal daily duty. You go salespeople, brand ambassador, going there, making deals with listing fee. You pay, you are in my cocktail menu, in my beverage program, you don't pay, you out. Like, so here's the normalities. There is nothing wrong with that, okay? Like, so how can you compete if you're a small brand, the small kid on a block versus like you know, the giant? Well, I've been in this situation for a few years with Italicus, and there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, if you're smart, there's different way you can work and you can make your brand very successful. Just be creative. And going back to the point that Jorge just said, which is value. You need to bring value to this account what the value is, you're going to offer them something that uh, who's paying to play cannot do it. Be creative. So one of my always intro questions to the account, it's, it's not about the brand today. It's about how, as a brand, we can work around your business. We can support your business. That's the value. Yeah. If you are a big 
corporation paying to play, you also want to implement certain rules or certain drink strategy or certain brand assets because you're paying to play. If you're not, you can be much more creative. So, as you said, Jorge, bring value to the account. You can work around. And I've seen so yeah. many of those cases. Never limit it yourself. Where is an obstacle, where is a challenge, there is always a solution. It's all about how smart you're going to be and find that. Yeah, I mean, I experienced this yesterday. I was actually working with the brand Kapali and I was presenting to an account. And, you know, and I know they're in, bit, in bed with a couple of, big, of the big companies. And, you know, we're a very tiny place. And I said, you know, okay, you know, we know each, the, the accountant and I know each other for a long time. I said, all right, so would you, wait, would you bring in a couple of bottles so I can come in here and spend some money, right? I said, I know, you, you know, I, I can't compete with them. But I said, but I will provide your entire team. I was like, you guys do a lot of, you know, rum and you do a lot. I was like, has anybody done education for your entire team about rum, the rum category, right? To sit down with them and do an education and all that stuff. You know, it's like, would that be helpful to them? So they actually understand what's on their back bar and what each one brings to the table. And they're like, no, nobody's ever done that. I'm like, look, we could do that. I was like, we can take and get them off of their, out of the account. We can do something nice for them. You know, so it's like finding that creative. Sometimes I've had an account just say to me, can you just take my team out for an outing? Like, and I took them out for, I literally, I took them out for a walk on, on the, on the high line. Like literally they've never been to the high line. I was like, let's go to the high line. I'm going to take them out for the day. We're going to go for lunch. It was like, we didn't have a lot of budget. I was like, I'm taking them out for pizza and I'm taking them on a tour of the high line. And we just all got out and we went on, I got them coffees and we went on the high line and we walked the entire high line. And it was like a team outing for them. They were like, this was great. This is a great team building. I mean, other people spent tens of thousands of dollars. I probably spent $500 and I took them out. So it's like finding that creative, like what, what is those small things that, that might work that are not, you know, I can't, I can't compete, but this is where I can compete. And this is what I can bring to the table. So it is about being creative. There's nothing that a slice of pizza can sort it out. Correct, Jorgen? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey. All right. So, all right. We, we already kind of talked about some of the things and we're getting to the end. We're going to wrap it up shortly we've been on for an hour and 15, but it's been so amazing. I think you guys have answered so many great questions and helped a lot of people. Let's talk about, if you want to ask like two things, if you could not repeat again in your career that might help somebody else, like two mistakes you might've made that you're like, what if I know now I would never have done it again. So I hope somebody learns from this to not ever do. Or just mistakes you've seen other people make. If you you're like make and you're like, yeah, don't, don't do this. I will leave with you, Jorge, first, okay? <laughs> well, I, 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 will, I will say, you know, don't stay where they don't see the value you, that you can bring, the company, in, an, in, in a toxic environment. And, uh, you know, things have evolved from, you know, many years back. But I remember being in the distributing, working with certain companies, and their environment was, was very hard, very tough. So, you know, I, I've seen people treat this as a job, not a career, and, and they're not happy with their, you know, choice, and they continue to be in that position, and, and that's the worst thing that you can do. If it's not the right fit for you, leave. Find the right fit, and that's, that's one of the main things that I see in this industry. This is, you know, this is the spirits industry. This is supposed to be fun. If you're miserable, what are you doing? Do something else. <laughs> Dave, trips to the distillery tasting experience 
Yeah, it's Mama Magali from Mexico. Uh, she's uh, one of the greatest ambassadors, I have to say. And she's the, she, she's the, actually, she's the, you know, she's the proof that, like, you know, you can be creative, you can work for, like, you know, small brands, so you can get them there. She worked for, we worked in Bacardi together. She used to be the oh, ambassador, like, you know, for many years. Like, so she done both sides. Like, she knows exactly what difference is. One is not better than another. They're all different. Be yep. creative and bring bring value to the bar. But to your question, like definitely, like you know, one of the main mistakes you need to learn when you need to keep quiet. Yes. Sometimes we talk too much, mainly when you had one drink or two. So definitely learn that if you cannot keep it quiet after two drinks, leave or just have one drink and leave. Like <laughs> so, it happened to me a few times that like you know I stay a little bit longer in the bar. And you have one drink and two and three. You start to chit chat. And maybe you shedding too much, you talk too much. Somebody can get offended, somebody can take it personally, somebody can take it good or wrong. So, like, you know, so I started to give a rule to myself, which is also my second point a mistake not to do. Remember that the brand ambassador he has a time frame for you, it's not the job that you can do for all your life. It's a very demanding job, it's a very lonely role. You're traveling a lot, you're on the street a lot, you're on a plane all the times, but you out there all the times. So you eat when you're not hungry and you drink when you're not thirsty because that's your job. So you need to give you a time frame that you're going to start. At some point, you need to finish, you need to move on. It doesn't mean you need to change industry, you need to change your role. You just need to go and do some other stuff. Yeah. So those are the two you mistakes. Think- learn when you keep it quiet and learn when you need to go. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll share my own. I definitely know. Yeah, I, I like to learn to learn to be quiet or also probably the mistake I have made in my lifetime is you two have probably suffered from it. It's like sometimes it's like talking too much about yourself, like blah, 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 like just like throwing up. Somebody asks how you're doing and it's like you're talking and you're like just verbally dumping on them because you might be nervous or you're just you're trying to impress somebody or like, oh, these are all the cool I, I, I've hopefully learned in my, in my old age is to ask more about what other people are up to, like what's going on in their life, you know, how, how are they doing, you know, what's going on in their career, what, what are they doing, you know, making, it's not that you can't share, but it's like, find out, connect with people more and, and don't, you know, we're always going to be in rooms, great when parties come back, you know, there's always amazing people, you know, in the room, connect with the people you're sitting with. Have that conversation. Don't constantly look to see if there's somebody better to talk with. Get to know the person you're you're you are with at that moment. Or else the most boring person in the world, then maybe you can move on. But other than that, like, you know, really spend that time to get to know somebody, especially in that room, because you will see those other people later on, you know. So really have a meaningful conversation if you can. Because so many of our conversations just like ching ching, so yeah, great vote, and we're running. And one of the things I've definitely learned about, I loved about COVID is having conversations like this and getting to know people better. And it's something in the last couple of years at cocktail parties, I've tried to make a more effort to do, like to just be with the people who I'm with and really spend time with them because time is short and you never know when you're going to see that person again. So it really, you know, spend that quality time with them because it really means a lot. All right, gentlemen, so the last question. So for anybody who you think is looking to become a brand ambassador, what is one recommendation? If you give any recommendation, they're like, this is, I think this is going to be the job for me. And they're taking the leap from being a bartender into the brand ambassador world. What would be your recommendation? 
Over to now, you, I'll, I'll, I'll go then. The first thing is find your passion and treat it like a career, not a, just a job. This is a lifestyle, actually. It's not even a career. It's a lifestyle that you're choosing for yourself. And this lifestyle, you know, has a lot of uh, hardship. Like Giuseppe was saying, you're constantly on the road, traveling. You know, where do you live? I used to say in, in, in gate A. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so it really takes a toll, you know, with your family, yeah. even with your friends. I remember, you know, going back to when I was in Dallas, every time that I came home, the first question my friends asked me is like, when are you leaving again? Like mm -hmm. they knew I was going to leave in two days, something like that. So it really takes a toll into your personal life. So if I had to give them a, you know, a, a unique uh, a thing to do is invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Do not just, you know, be compliant and say, you know, I already attained this position. I'm comfortable. No. Go out there and spend your money in trips to learn more about other categories. Take courses, you know, you were telling me some about the academy that you're putting together. Invest in yourself. That's the only way that you're going to grow. And there's no better investment than investing in you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I completely agree for everything what York just said. So from my side, I would just add, do not base your decision to become a brand ambassador or what you see on Facebook. Obviously not throughout the pandemic, but you know, a lot of partners, they want to become brand ambassador because they see all their friends traveling the world and having this like a luxury, five-star hotels, business class lifestyle, like, you know, all the top of the top. Sure, that's what you see out there. Then take it offline, off the record, get to know those people and ask them exactly what a brand ambassador life is. However, don't get me wrong, it's a huge experience. And I will recommend everybody, based on my personal experience, to do it. <laughs> do it as a brand ambassador. It changed my life. It changed uh, the way how I see my life. But also, you need to start this role, this job, already with in mind, that throughout your experience, at some point, is going to finish as a brand ambassador and you need to move on. Yeah. Don't yeah, start without knowing where you go. And as Jorge said, that you think you're going to stay there forever. At some point, you need to cut it and move on. That would be my recommendation to them. And I was going to say, and my recommendation would definitely be like if, and you gentlemen are both family men, and I, I'm a mom as well, and a family, you know, and, and I'm a great husband at home, but you, if you're going to have a, if you have a family, you need a good partner at home. If, if you have kids, like if you become a brand ambassador, it is very, very hard being a brand ambassador and a parent, unless you have a good support system at home. So this is a conversation. If this is a decision you're going to make, it's one you should have with your partner because you're going to need them a lot. And because you, you are, your schedule's erratic and you're constantly on the road and you know, I'm very grateful for a very good support team as I am on marriage number two, because my first one probably suffered from my, a little bit from my career. So this is a life lesson I learned that you do need a really, you know, you need that support team. So because parents, people come to me all the time, especially uh, brand ambassadors who are becoming moms. And they asked me like, how did you do it? And I was like, well, and I, you know, I was like, it wasn't easy. Sometimes I say change careers because it might be easier. But if not, if you have a good partner and you have the conversation, you're like, this is what it's going to be like, and they're on board, then it, it could still be an amazing career to have. But yeah, I think it's definitely going to be toll, uh, take a toll on your personal life. So be ready for that and, and make sure you have good partners in place. And to my, 
Magalis. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Magalis. And I think you're correct. I, people love the brand, but most of the time, ambassadors are the connection between the bar and the brand. They are. They definitely are. That is a big thing. But the one thing I have learned, they will still carry the brand even when you're not with the company anymore. <laughs> they, if they love the brand, they eventually do love the, the brand. You know, but it is a big, you're right. They sometimes buy the brand just because of your connection with them. And that says a lot about you as a brand ambassador, which is impressive. So gentlemen, I think this was really amazing. I appreciate your time and all your great insights. I think our audience hopefully learned a lot. So for all of you who have tuned in, thank you so much for all your comments and your feedback. It definitely makes this a lot more fun and engaging for all of us that are here and that's it that that is a wrap for episode 18 if anybody wants to see past episodes they're on the youtube channel celebrate the brand ambassador please hit subscribe and check them out there all right gentlemen you ready to go i'm gonna say thank you and and, and just thank you for magali and anthony and dean everybody that joined great to see you guys interact as well Uh, hopefully we'll see you in person soon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and thank you to you, Olin, to be such a great inspiration and a good friend, most of all. Uh, thank you very Absolutely. much. Same, same back to you. All right, gentlemen, thanks again. So, so please see you soon, too, <laughs> in person. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, Jorgen. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. Again, this is your host, Elaine Duff. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Celebrating the Brand Ambassador. If you did, please do me a solid. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, leave an excellent review, and share on your social media. Also, follow me at Duff on the Rocks to tune in to the live version of these shows every other week on Facebook and say hi or get a question answered by one of our guests. Lastly, if you want to learn more about my online Brand Ambassador Academy or to sign up for one-on-one coaching, head to my website, DuffOnTheRocks.com or BeverageBA.com. Until next time, this girl is out and an ice cold martini is calling my name. Cheers, everyone.